Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. I hope you're all doing well. It's another week, therefore we know it's another episode. And this episode is cracking. I've been trying to get this one arranged for a long time now. Um, and it finally come around and uh, and it was an absolute joy to to sit down with Sam Duckworth uh, aka get cape where cape fly I've known Sam for a few years now uh, he's a fellow Essex lad and uh, and he's always a absolute pleasure to sit down and and, and chat with and I knew this was going to be a, a great chat and I knew that the conversation was going to be in depth and it is therefore it's a two-parter so before we get on with part one, uh, I'm going to say thanks to Scroobius Pip, the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to 76 for producing this. And um, a big shout out to uh, podbiblemag.com. So Podbible is the uh, bi-monthly magazine that Scroobius Pip, me and my name is Ad do. Um, and you can read it online at podbiblemag.com or you can... Uh, order back copies of the print, or if you're in London, Margate, Brighton, Manchester, you can uh, pick up print copies. They're free, uh, and it's the comprehensive guide to podcasts. So it's all things podcast. Uh, as well as that, we've now launched a accompanying podcast, the Pop Bible Podcast. I need to stop saying podcast. Uh, each week, me, Pip, or Adam, well, we all sit down and we chat with all your favourite podcasters about theirs and the ones that they listen to. Uh, so please go and give that a listen. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a great new podcast that we're really excited about. But back to today's episode. Please enjoy part one of Off the Beaten Track with Sam Duckworth. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable, and water based inks. And in addition to that, 
They only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It me, Stu Whiffin. Okay, we are uh, in South End on Sea, and joining me today in his studio, Sam Duckworth. Hey, yeah. All right. Yeah, all good. How are you? I'm good, thank you very much. So we've been we've been putting the worlds to rights already. We ain't seen each other for a while, yeah, have we? <laughs> so we last see each other when you came to the book club. Yep. To DJ for Pip and I. That was a lot of fun. Uh, well, good because you're coming back in a couple of weeks. Yeah, can't wait. And uh, and I should digging out the well. garage. And and do you know what? You you turned up. And it was all vinyl, wasn't it? It was. Dusted off your seven-inch singles. Yeah, I found, I found a few old gems when I was doing it. It was good fun. I should also say that on my Spotify playlist, um, I've added your playlist that you played that night. Because you did you? do a Spotify playlist for yeah. it, didn't you? I did indeed. And uh, there's some really, really solid uh, soul on there. Um, you've actually got the seven-inch of Amy Winehouse doing Cupid. Yeah, so I think it's a 12. It's um, four tracks. It's like a Scar EP. Hmm. And it's just, yeah, Monkey Man, Cupid, yep. covers, it's, it's real good. Lovely, lovely. Well, um, I should say you sent your songs over this morning, so I've not had a chance to write them on my little bit of paper that I uh, generally hold this by. So if I get my phone out, Sam, I'm just checking your answers. Okay. Um, good. All right, so we always start this podcast uh, with track one, which is a song with the greatest intro. Okay, so I've gone for Levitonel by Sebastian Tellier. You're the second person to choose that. Am I? Kate Thornton, the TV presenter, chose that. I mean, it, it's probably because it's the best intro ever. Well, I hope you believe in that because it's your choice. Yeah, just I think there's it's hard. To, it's hard to I don't want to explain it too much because if people haven't heard it, it's like it's just an amazing surprise. There's like a moment that happens in the song, but it happens so far into the song that you're not expecting it, and you're like, okay, like, every single bit of that that came before was amazing, was beautiful. And now I'm just on a different plane. Do you think he'd heard Phil by Robbie Williams? I don't, when, what was the timeline of that song? Right, I checked it this morning. Okay. Because I thought, did Robbie Williams, because there's a little lick in it, which really sounds the same. And it did turn out that uh, Phil was released uh, before it. I do love the idea of Tony Allen, Philippe Zadar. Sebastian Tellier listening to Robbie Williams. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, should, should we give this a go? Uh, 
to be honest with you, I hope I hope they heard it. Brilliant. Um, so what I always like to ask um, my guests, and always like to ask musicians this, is is the importance of of intro and uh, and the way that music historically uh, was was much more. Uh, I, I guess artists had complete creativity, and and as as music's evolved, and the Spotify generation has has started to come through, where and and Shazam, whereas it feels everything can be moves faster, and there's a lot more sort of you know constant distractions with you may like this, you may like this. You mentioned earlier that the, the, the Get Caves can be 15 next year. Yeah. Sam Duckworth making music 15 years ago to Sam Duckworth making music now. Introductions. Any changes in the way that you approach a song? I don't know. Um, it's a really interesting thought process because for a good two or three years of my career, song length and when things come in, there would always be people in my ear trying to influence that. You know, I think Spotify is going to get the blame for, you know, the lack of intros in music. But I think it really kind of lies at radio. You know, from the 80s onwards, three, three and a half minutes was the length. You know, and, you know, you'd you'd want the vocal to come in after 15 seconds. So unless you've got 15 seconds of, you know, awesome, you can't be patient. You know, you lose the patience in the intros. And kind of into my career, I was like, I was listening to a lot of music and being like, why does this bring me on a journey whereas I can't do it? And I was like, because it's an extra minute and a half. It's 30 seconds of tone setting. So I think, you know, for, I've lo I always love a good intro. I listen to dance music. It takes generally 45 seconds before. I think that's different. I, I think dance music... Although it isn't, mate, it's probably one, you know, some of the most biggest music in the world now. I do think that a producer making dance music, if we're talking, you know, as electronic music to be played in clubs, a lot of the mindset, you know, the approach to that is also considering DJs. But I think that's where that culture shift lies because it's DJ first and not radio yeah, first. Yeah. And I think that now Spotify is opening up people's, you know, song selections in a different way. Yeah. You know, they're able to hear all of these tracks from, you know, from a ton of different eras. The intro's coming back. People yeah. are, you know, I think the last Everything Everything album is just a masterclass in doing both. Yeah. Like for bands, you know, and I, 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 you know, I listen to a lot of new British music that's coming through and I'm like, okay, this is, this is not aiming for anything other than just to be creative. Okay. You know, and I think that if you're creative, you can have an intro, you cannot have an intro, it doesn't really matter. That The rules are, are there to do whatever you want. Oh. Whereas I think the formula of when I first started making music and of that age, you know, it was really, it was quite rigid. And it was driven by labels, it was driven by people going, you know, we're not going to put this out unless you chop that intro in half. How did you do it out? Sometimes I'd have arguments and sometimes I'd win them and sometimes I wouldn't. I, I, I tend to work on the philosophy that if I want something, I'm going to argue for it. But if somebody comes up with a really solid reason as to why I can't have it, Play then ball. we'll have two versions, a radio edit and the long version. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Was there any other honourable mentions that you considered for this? Um, yes, but one of them I've, I've picked as my, oh, okay. my final tracks. So. All right. 
No worries. All right, well, for track two, Sam, uh, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you? Hymns. Okay. You know, there's something about a hymn and a lot of people and the way that, the, you know, that they arc, that you just get that kind of goosebumpsy, wow, this is a powerful, emotive thing, people singing collectively. Do you get that when you're at shows, either in the audience or people singing your songs back at you? When you go and see a band like the Arcade Fire, you're kind of also going to a cathedral. Yeah. And yeah, I love that. It's equally a religious moment, right? It has the same, it's collectivism. Yeah. You know, and it's something amazing about people being unified and singing the same thing. Do you think people get out of football matches? 100%. I think is why live football and live wrestling and live sport is such a fabric of people's lives is because it allows you to have a moment where you're a part of something bigger than just yourself. Yeah. And through singing. Yeah. Those hymns, I mean, you chose Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, I mean, how old was you, do you think, when you heard that? It would have been at secondary school. I think there were probably songs that came before that that had emotional impacts on me, but I I can't remember the moment. (laughs) There's something interesting about now being 33 and having been doing this for 15 years is that I really do have to think quite hard to remember early days of my life. And the emotion you would have experienced was what? It was like, this sounds good. This, <laughs> you know I mean? like, Joy, yeah. Just an, uh, yeah, an overwhelming sense of, okay, like when it really goes up to that high bit and everyone belts it out, whether they want to or not. Yeah. It's like, that's, there's power in that. Yeah. You know, I've or, like from probably 13 onwards, I've always been of the mindset that like, Groups of people doing stuff, regardless of what it is, is one of the most important things that needs to exist in society. Completely agree. And like when you hear singing like that, it gets you. Mm. And, you know, abide with me at the FA Cup finals as a banger of a moment of the year. You know, you see all these football fans that are desperate for their own team to win. And then they're all seeing a hymn really loudly before kickoff and a giant roar. And it's... Strange. It is strange. And, and I've mentioned this a few times since he guested. And we were speaking about our friend Colin Murray beforehand. Mm. And when um, Colin done uh, the Hardcore Listing podcast, um, he chose uh, top five uh, songs of sporting events. Okay. And have you ever heard um, Hibs fans singing Sunshine on Leith? No. Oh, fucking hell, Sam. It's, is it? It's okay. fucking beyond powerful mm. I mean I've got my, my love of the Proclaimers is uh, is no secret better than the cop singing <sighs> do you know what go on say yes go on no 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 it's up, some there. Controversy. it's up there but um, my my best pal he's uh, he, his little boy um, is a Wolves fan I think it's Wolves I don't, do you follow football I don't follow football I do follow football a bit yeah okay so um, am I right in saying that one of the last games of the season just gone was Wolves versus Liverpool to to, to have some sort of effect yeah. on the league I don't really know I don't follow football yeah. but um, there was a competition for Wolves fans um, to, to write uh, for the kids the juniors to write a song and he wrote a song and he won and he walked out at Anfield as the mascot for Wolves and my best mate filmed his son walking out. That's awesome. To you'll never walk alone. Fucking hell, Sam! It's like it was just. You can't recreate that. I don't think that's something that's just 
absolutely mind-altering. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. It's, football doesn't get enough credit for that sometimes. Yeah. You know, I think, I had a really, I won, a, when I was a kid, when I was, I think it was 11 or 10, I won an essay writing competition. Okay. With, in association with like the FA and Wagon Wheels or something. <laughs> where I had to like write an essay about how I'd change football and then I had to do some football commentary on a game and I got to, you know, family were going to watch England match. And football was quite creative in how it, you know, it works with communities. Mm. You know, when we did Love Music Hate Racism, Stoke City Football Club were never, you know, them and kick racism out of football. Those two organisations just put everything that I've ever seen in music to shame. You know, the way that they, you know, operate their community engagements, the way that they're part of the fabric of those towns and those cities. It's huge. I think that's why it's so sad now. We've like, Bolton have just survived, but Bury have gone under. And people are saying all of this stuff is going to suddenly stop. You know, I think football is powerful because it unites communities. And as long as people don't get too excited, it's pretty healthy to have that level of pride and competition in your own environment. I um, I guessed it on a, a podcast a little while ago um, about mental health. And uh, and and I'd listened to an episode that they've, they've recorded uh, previously. And, and the angle that they come at it was very much based around alternative music. And... And, and and almost a little bit kind of not finger pointing but sort of talking about like lad culture uh as as something maybe not quite as um oh, i don't know how to explain this but my point was that and they were talking about not sort of getting football culture and things like that but to me i, I sort of then said to him but do you not think that you standing in a field singing uh, whatever, Mr. Brightside for a, a ridiculously obvious um, example, at the top of your voice at Glastonbury is going to be any different from 60,000 people in Anfield singing You'll Never Walk Alone. I think that's the thing that... It's the same, right? It's the same and it's different and I think that's why it's great. Okay. You know, Explain think, the difference, Sam. I think lad culture is not exclusive of any pastime. Lad culture is combination of, you know, the British Empire, the education system, toxic masculinity, you know, television and magazines and media culture from, you know, the 70s onwards. It's a product of all of those things and it's really woven into our society. And this is, you know, the beginnings in a generation of trying to unpick all of that stuff and really get away from it. So I think... Football will get the blame because football does have large pockets that really just need to get get grip and get you know get with modernity and realise that you know everyone's allowed to have their own thing in the world, but you can't take away somebody else's by your culture. So if you are a football fan, you're homophobic, and you're stopping you know homosexual players from coming out and home homosexual fans from coming to the game and feeling comfortable you got to stop being homophobic. It's not about your right to be homophobic. It's about not taking away somebody else's right to enjoy the same thing as you. And football is changing. I really believe that it's changing. And I think in the same way you go to some music festivals... I was going to say, that lad culture was definitely existing in music festivals as well. 
completely. But that's why I think it's so important that it's not identified as being tied to any specific group. Because then it's the overlap that's going to be the thing that weaves it into fabric of society. And it's going to be people being able to enjoy all of these things without feeling that by enjoying one... Like, if someone asks me, I'm a football fan, I say, yes, the stereotypes are there. Yeah. If people ask me what I do for a living, I say I'm a musician, people are ah, oh, the stereotypes are there. You know, I think we've lived in a world where Britain is a stereotype-heavy society, you know? That's the, that's the key, what you've just said there, I think. So it's... Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because... The bits that everybody can get behind is atmosphere. Yeah. Collective singing, collectivism, yeah. Expre- feeling like you're in a moment. Right? Yeah. yeah. And and an escape. Mm. And all all and every. Mm. It's you know, it's a physical experience that you're there for. Yeah. And anything that encourages healthy ways of doing that, I'm I'm all for. Okay. Okay. Where was you born, Sam? Rochford Hospital. Not too far from here. Not too far. Okay. And grew up? Grew up in uh, Westcliff, just by the Palace Theatre. Okay. How was school? Secondary school has changed because it's 11 plus. I was south in high school for boys. So I went to an all boys school. It's pretty um, centre right to be diplomatic. Very structured. You know, very sporting. Didn't really fit in there, but... Why was that? What I'd now look at it as being a an issue of privilege and of difference. Okay. You know, I think that the grammar school system in Southend rewards the children that are able to be trained into passing the 11 plus. Okay. Or it takes other people that are good at passing exams. Being good at exams is not the same as being intelligent and it shouldn't remove those opportunities. And I believe that the grammar school system in this county is not a good thing. Are you talking about the the lack of encouragement for creativity? I think gender gender segregated, economically, you know, well, you've got to have relative economic background to be able to get in you know there's barriers for entry and curriculums that only breed one type of lever from school it's not a good idea and that weren't you it wasn't me i don't think it's anybody that's in that system to be honest i just think that some people are better at being within you know it it, it provides a rich education in certain fields but if you don't want to be part of those fields, it's a supplementary application for your UCAS form. It's like, yeah, but I do art for balance. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's not it's not my vibe. Was there other like minded people like you though? Yeah, some. Probably probably more than I realise. Did you gravitate towards those? You have to. And then you realise, you know, you start going to things that aren't school and you realise that you don't necessarily need to find those people in your school. I think that's a good lesson there really is that if you can't find the people in the environment that you're in, but it's not a good idea to change your environment fully, just find an environment elsewhere at night or once a week that scratches that itch, it'll tie you over. Where did you find that? Chinneries. Minerva. (laughs) Army Navy. 
Yeah. These are all live venues, uh, not not too far from where we're definitely, sitting right now. Definitely some Larry Friday nights at the Rush. <laughs> Especially that is when we worked at Halfords. There was a good crew. Like that was, yeah, the Rush are down the seafront on a Wednesday. Like yeah. that, it'd go hard. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what did you want to be at school? Did you know what you wanted to do? A musician from fifteen. From fifteen. Previous to that? Sports journalist. Really? Mm. So, why the switch? Um, it's, if you're not very good at sport, it's much easier to be a musician than it is to work in sport. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> I was always going to be some... They're like, oh, well, so what's your pedigree? What's your career? It's like, well, I was like, C-team captain in year seven. It's like, nah, it doesn't wash. No. I think that also more more than anything else, I just like part of being in music, which what I love about music is you just watch people like you have an idea and then loads of people get together and then they make the idea happen. People have a good time at the idea, then the idea disappears. I love that. You know, and putting on gigs is fun because putting on gigs has to me has two really great functions. One, people have a good time or have a challenging time or an experience. And the other is that if it goes well, you can use that to then carry on doing more bananas yeah. activities. Yeah. And, for, you know, from putting on gigs and watching other people put on gigs and seeing people do that all over the country, it became very tangible. It's like whether it's going to be successful or not, I have no idea, but I was up for it. So what song would you choose for track three that reminds you of school? Um, 100 Reasons, I'll Find You. Okay. Like, I could have picked Hell is for Heroes. I knew you were going to say that band next. Why are they always side by side? <laughs> They're always side by side, them two bands. I think you add A into the triptych and those three bands kick the doors open. Yeah. You know, I think that there was a moment where UK rock and UK emo and like, you know, Gravity and, the, you know, Freak Scene down in Exeter and like all of the, all of the hubs, you know, oh, man, they're so so many bands and so many people doing really cool stuff but then 100 Reasons really like opened the doors and got big you know I remember seeing A at Brixton and it was like okay cool this is it's big like you can get to the top of the tree yeah and yeah I think it, for a whole generation those bands managed to do one thing that keeps you making a lasting impact for generations as they put out great music and they put on great gigs and that stuff lives with you. So would you say that that was sort of integral in you picking up a guitar or, or was you already playing? I was already playing, but it was definitely integral in realising the possibilities. You know, I think this deconstruction of the fourth wall that's been happening over the last 20 years in culture has been really good. You know, it's allowed people to see that superstardom is not something that needs to be manufactured. Mm -hmm. If you're good at what you do and you work hard and you play well, you can we can get places and do things. What are your thoughts on Ed Sheeran, Sam? Um, it's a difficult one for me because um, I don't listen to a lot of music with acoustic guitars. I'm an acoustic guitar player, but I really just, I just don't like acoustic guitar music, really. Mm -hmm. So, instantly, not huge fan of the music mm. like I can what's cool is that somebody is playing acoustic guitar to 
tens of thousands of people and kids picking up guitars and you know it's it shows the possibility it shows yeah. that people can do stuff like that and you can be one person with a guitar and captivate a room full of people and i think that's you know that's a really great thing that's happened yeah i think it'd be nice to see what it would be like with a band now i think yeah. hopefully people are ready for that um and now i could talk for hours about you know what it's like to be playing acoustic guitar and doing a kind of thing and then it being a really uncool thing to be doing and then five years later it being the coolest thing to do in the yeah. world it's quite strange yeah but i don't want to play acoustic guitar anymore so yeah you know i will do it's yeah I'm, i know that i can do it and i sometimes enjoy it but i don't know i'm just gonna make some different kind of noise for a yeah. bit you know so it's 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 changed the game you know it's changed the game and i think when the game changes you know time to look for new games yeah okay so with your circle of friends that you had at school or outside of school i'm presuming these people were like-minded musically somewhere yeah okay and then was you already making racket in bands yeah, kind of um, Silverskin is the local band. Yeah. That's what we were doing for, um, yeah, and putting on shows. And there's lo lots of good bands, lots of people doing the same thing. And just everyone gravitated towards each other, really. Did you have drive? In what sense? Did you want to really take it somewhere? Was you was you yeah. focused on, was you just, and was you just playing to have fun? Or did you think, I want, I want more people to hear this. I want to take this somewhere. Both. You know, it's fun doing it. And I think if you can do something, you might as well do it as best you can, mm -hmm. as hard as you can. Not everyone you, thinks like that, though. I think, I, I think people do. I think it's when you find that thing you love. Yeah. I think lots of people find things they like and confuse it for love. Yeah. Love is the bit where you, it's like getting you down and it's beating you up and you hate it, but you still carry on. You know, for, for art anyway, like, yeah. I think, you know, different in... Lots of different fields, but I think in the field of art, if you are truly in love with what it is that you're doing, unless there's something you love more, and that can include anything from family or to finding, you know, a different pathway in your life, you know, you try you try to do it to the best you can. I think I, I, I just think a lot of times people love it and then they stop loving it, yeah. and that's also fine. Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put play. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. List up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. You mentioned family then. So was was there music on at home growing up? My dad always played guitar. Yeah. Like it was inescapable in a really good way. What sort of stuff was you being exposed to growing up? Um, it was more listening to somebody playing an instrument. Right. You know, rather than, you know, there would there would be music on, but it wouldn't be by all the time. Yeah. You know, be, if there was music, it was being played. That's that's cool. Like yeah. it's it meant I could find the stuff that I liked, and then there's more music within you know discussion within the family now than there probably was growing up, which is quite nice because you just learn loads of stuff about your parents when you look through their record collection. Be like, yeah. oh, you got that? <laughs> all right. Were you there? Oh, yeah, I was there. Blah blah blah. Like, okay, cool. All right, fair play. It's DNA thing. So there was instruments laying around. Yeah, always. Okay, what was first, guitar? Always guitar. I don't. I love to play the drums, but I'm rubbish at it. I can't keep a groove, but I like yeah. smashing things. But every other instrument, I've got functioning passion for. Yeah, it's guitar always for me. Okay, next track. What was the first record you bought from a record shop, Sam? Um, I bought two at the same time. Okay, uh, two cassettes. Uh, Australia by the Manic Street Preachers. Nice. And Virtue Insanity, Jamiroquai. Okay. If if it happened before then, I can't. It may something may have happened before then, but that's my memory. Yeah. I remember getting those two. So, when you was listening to these records, I mean, they're, they're two very different uh, records. There. Was you deconstructing them in any way? Was you was the lyrics cutting through, and and was you working out how this this music was put together? I think on the Australia as a cassette, I think there was a design for life and I think it was a live version on the other side. That's right. I mean, what a tune. Like, Australia brought me to the table. That brought me into the idea of like, wow, lyrics cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, Jamiroquai is the opposite. It's yeah. like this production is crisp. It's like, it's like disco, but it's also kind of rocky. Yeah. I was like, okay, you know, he's, I like both of these things and they're both very different. I think as as much as the I'm I'm not a massive Manic Street Preachers fan and, and 
and I saw them very early on um, when Generation Tourists come out and there was such a furore about this band that were, were talking about Guns N' Roses and Public Enemy in the same sentences and wearing these slogan t-shirts and, mm. and you know, makeup and, and it was like, it wasn't like anything else that was going on at that point in, in, in British music. Um, but what I think people uh, overlook a lot of the time, maybe not so much now, but the Manic Street Preachers could write perfect pop records as well. Their choruses. I mean, Australia being a prime example. They're just so good. You know, they really are. I think the other side of the Manics, and I think the Super Furries go in the same conversation, is that they're Welsh bands. Mm. There was an, uh, and the pride and that and the impact that that's had on generations. You know, I think so much... Like British music, I think we need to also start talking about like English music and Welsh music and Scottish music because there's a lot of Welsh language music and a lot of, you know, Gaelic music that has the same impact that yeah. it's important that we just overlook because British means it has to be in English. I can't think who Griff turned up and supported the other night unannounced and just played a, a Welsh music set. And uh, I've got a little show on Boogaloo Radio and there's a, a DJ on there, uh, Meg, and she's got um, a show that just plays Welsh music mm. and there's so much fucking amazing music coming out of there. And yeah. it was a Welsh band that signified the end of my band as well, Sam. We mm. uh, we we was playing at, uh, I hope I pronounced this right, Club Iverback yeah. in Cardiff and uh, and there was a band called Terrace, T-E-R-R-I-S, and, uh, and it was, they were managed by one of the guys from 60 Foot Dolls, another great Welsh band. And uh, Newport, yeah, and uh, and this band come on, and at the time we'd been playing relentlessly, and we thought we was tight as hell, and we thought we was, you know, as you do when you're in a band that's two in, you know, in the early days, you you, you have confidence, and you know, you you you're a little bit full of yourself in in regards to what you can put across as a live show, and we sound checked, and I remember thinking, oh yeah, it sounded great, and then this Welsh band come on stage. And I remember just watching their sound check and thinking, fucking hell, <laughs> they're going to wipe the fucking floor with us. And they come on and it was like watching joy. It was like watching the, the front man was, was like Ian Curtis. And, and they ended up becoming cover stars of the NME and winning this NME award. And they got ridiculous amounts of hype. And it someone just must have pulled the rug from beneath them because they just disappeared. And it was an abrasive, awkward sound. No bass player. It was all done on a right. um, on, on a little Roland Groove box. And it was just fucking incendiary. And it made me feel old-fashioned. It yeah. made me feel like my band was just so out of date. I love that feeling. And I just thought, I've got to go back to the drawing board. This band right. have just fucking wiped the floor with us. The more that happens, the better life is creatively. You can only grow from it, right? You want to watch everybody else thrive. Yeah. Because ultimately that's your goal too. Yeah. And it's and our fault for becoming almost complacent. Well, being complacent is not going back to the drawing board. Yeah. I think realising that, you know, there's something else that's really exciting happening doesn't necessarily need to be a case of keeping up. Yeah. It's like, if that's going to motivate us to do what we do even better. Yeah. You know, I think... It's not. It's less of a competition and it's more of an inspiration. I think it's looking at something and going, well, that's brilliant. It's totally different to what we do, but we've got to get that brilliant. Yeah. Because when you watch that, it's undeniable. You know, that to me is 
when you see undeniable things and you just go to a gig and you're like, you are so great. And it's so obvious where people like you. Yeah. You're like, Sundara Karma people, you know, and, you know, I guess Cat Empire, you know, they're bands, Crystal Fighters, bands coming through where people are like, how did that band get so big? It's like, well, they're really, really, really good. So that's how. Yeah. You know, and it's, it, they, you know, that's how, that's how culture should be. It should be exciting and challenging and just people colliding off each other and just getting better and better. Aside from records at school, what else was you spending your money on? Um, don't know is the honest answer. What was I spending my money? Mostly on like, it, between like 16 and 18, I'd like, I'd watch a lot of wrestling. Um, as a bit of a hermit. Or I'd go to gigs and stuff. But it was really, when from when I was 18, I literally, as soon as I left school, went straight on tour. So every penny I had would be like, if I do this show in Manchester and I get paid 30 quid, 40 quid, can I get to the next city? If not, how much money do I need to to do that? How was that? I mean, as as 18, I was going around and basically partying for two years. It was wicked. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it was, then it became work. And, you know, it's, it's a change. But yeah, it was so good. Would you have done it differently in hindsight? I can't look back on that time and compare it to now because if streaming and of course. the the rights issues regarding masters was different then, I think my life would be radically different now. I, I would do it all differently. But under the same confines of that era, there's nothing really that I could have changed. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to be able to try it the way that I wanted for all of that positives and negatives. And I think when you can do things the way you want, if it goes wrong, you own it. Yeah. If it goes right, you love it. And sometimes the things that go wrong, you listen back to and you're like, that, that was good. I should have stuck with that. Yeah. I just bottled my confidence because of everything else that was going on around me. Was you confident? I was confident for about two years and then I became like paralyzingly unconfident for quite a long time. Why do you think that happened? I was getting called fat in newspapers, like people slating my records, people like, what the hell's happened to him? You know? So eventually you start to be like, yeah, Hey, fucked it, haven't I? You know, and you look at yourself and you're like, cool, like, have a peek. Is that, like, the happiest moment of my life? And it's not. It's just hype. And every debut, everything has hype. How did, how did you deal with that? Uh, I tried drinking for a bit. That was dangerous. Um, buried my head in the sand for a long period of time. Was she still writing, though? Yeah, always. Like, I have to write. I can't function without writing. Yeah. It's just, it's part of my life. If I'm not, then I'm going stir crazy. Yeah. I just, is there any chance, I know we're doing a podcast here, so maybe we could have a segue. I could quickly go to the toilet. Yeah, of course. Because I feel like, um, there you have it. End of part one. We had to have a quick break. Uh, I think we're fast approaching the hour point anyway, but um, both Sam and I needed a wee. So we uh, we paused it and we picked straight back up where we left off in part two. So um, go and give it a listen. See you in a bit. Oh yeah, sorry, I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts 
you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. 